Namacharya Shila Prabhupada Ki Jai, Nantakoti Vaishnava Rinda Ki Jai, Namacharya Shila Haridas Sakura Ki Jai, Prem Shikaho Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Adoita Gadadhar Shri Vasadi Gora Bhakta Rinda Ki Jai, Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gogopina Shaima Kunda Radha Kunda Giri Govardhana Ki Jai, Vrindavan Dhamma Ki Jai, Atura Dhamma Ki Jai, Navadrit Mayapur Dhamma Ki Jai, Jagannapuri Dhamma Ki Jai, Ganga Maya Jumuna Devi Ki Jai, Bhakti Devi Ki Jai, Tulsi Maharani Ki Jai, Samaveta Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai, Gaur Pramananda, All Glories to the Assembled Devotees, All Glories to the Assembled Devotees, All Glories to the Assembled Devotees, All Glories to Sri Guru and Goranga, All Glories to Srila Prabhupada. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasai Bhutale Srimati Bhakti Vedanta Swami Nityanamane Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pachani Nirmase Sasunyavati Paskatya Desatani Vandayam Shri Guru Shri Uttama Padakamalam Shri Guru Vaishnavamscha Shri Rupam Sagrajatam Sagana Raganatam Vitamstam Sajiva Sadvaitam Sadvadutam Padijana Sahita Krishna Jaitanya Deva Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitamscha Anchakapachipashakipasanviyabhachapachitanampavanevyovaishnavevimoni November 14th, 2022, Hillsborough, North Carolina. Reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 10, Chapter 40. This is Akura's Prayers, Text 11. Satvam Rajas Tamaiti Bhavata Prakritera Gunaha Teshihi Prakrita Prota Abhama Savaradaya Satvam Goodness Rajaha Passion Tamaha Ignorance Iti Thus known Bhavataha Your Prakrite Of the material nature Gunaha The qualities Teshu to them, he certainly, Prakritaha, the conditioned living entities, Protaha, woven, Abrama, up to Lord Brahma, Savara Adhyaya, starting with the non moving creatures. Hmm? Is it on? Maybe it's using your battery? Oh, no, it's... Goodness, passion, BBT translation. Goodness, passion, ignorance, the qualities of your material nature entangle all conditioned living beings from Brahma down to the non-moving creatures. So there's no BBT purport. And we'll look at commentaries of our previous acharyas. So Sanatana Goswami says, the order of Sattva, Rajas, and Tamas follows the order of the worshippers mentioned. Because this particular part in the prayer 
comes after Akura is talking about people worshipping demigods and that everything ultimately flows to Krishna, etc. Or the order is according to devitas, humans, and animals mentioned later. So it's not Jindal Swami saying this is either a recap of what's already been said or it's an introduction to what's about to be said. All beings are strung in the gunas, teshu, because they are related to prakriti, prakritaha. Though the Lord becomes Brahma for creation and becomes visible, being an avatar of the Lord according to Vishnu Purana, this statement is for the unrefined. According to Skanda Purana, in some Mahakalpas, a jiva becomes Brahma. Or, quote, now this would be Sanatana Goswami suggesting what Krishna would be asking Akura, and that between the previous verses and this verse, Sanatana Goswami is interjecting that Krishna has a question. Quote, why do they not serve me directly? Unquote. And then Akura is basically summarizing Akura's answer in this verse. They are bewildered by your maya from highest to lowest. They are all bewildered. Okay, we're going to look at Vishnu Chakravati Thakur, who says something quite similar. So in his commentary, he says, Krishna replies, in other words, this is Krishna replying to the previous verses. Right? Previous verses were about people worshipping something or someone other than Krishna. Right? And Karpuru talked about worship of Lord Shiva. And how all of this is ultimately directed at Krishna. So Vishnu Chakravati Thakur, again, he's interjecting this question. Krishna replies, if this is so, then why doesn't everyone worship me? Akura answers in this verse. Akura prayed, all living entities are bound by the three modes of nature. If even Brahma is bewildered by Maya, then what to speak of all the humans? Therefore, how can they worship you? Satvam rajasma iti bhavata prakritair gunaha teshihi prakrita prota abrahma savaradaiha. Goodness, passion, ignorance, the qualities of your material nature entangle all conditioned living beings from Brahma down to the non moving creatures. So I think it's interesting, and Jiva Goswami also says the same, that our acharyas are understanding that Akura says this verse in response to a question that Krishna had about his previous prayers. Such indicates that prayer is a conversation with the Lord. So even though Krishna's inquiry is not in the Bhagavatam verses, our acharyas can understand that such an inquiry must have actually been present. And we find, especially Vishnu Chakravati Thakur, those of you who are familiar with his commentaries, you'll notice that he regularly does this, isn't that correct? He adds in his commentary dialogue between the personalities involved that we don't find in the Shastra itself. So prayer, which is one of the most important items of devotional service, is, is a dialogue. It's, some, it's a place where we're speaking to the Lord and we're also hearing, we're also listening to his reply. Now, of course, we may or may not hear his reply coming clearly as an audible voice as we would hear from another person. But we often hear his reply in various ways. Do you all have experience of that? Who here has ever gotten a prayer answered? Anybody ever gotten a prayer answered? Right. I mean, maybe just a simple conversation. I like to give the example of how 
when I was in New Zealand one time I was walking back to the place where I was staying and I was thinking I'd really like some cashews the thought just went through my mind and when I came back to my room there was a bag of cashews rubber band to my doorknob yes you've all had experiences like this or you ask some philosophical question yes one time I remember at Govardhan I was uh, I imparted my realization, I'd read something from Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, and I was speaking to another devotee, and I said, oh, I just read this from Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, and now I more clearly understand what Prabhupada said in Krishna book, it was like this, like this, and the devotee said, you're wrong. You're just completely wrong. You're misunderstanding Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur, you're misunderstanding Krishna book, you just have it all wrong, and I was like, crushed. Right? And I was like, wow, I thought I had gotten a new realization, and wrong, and it was all smashed. So I just said, Srila Prabhupada, you please explain to me what is the actual situation. And I think it was the next day I was listening to Prabhupada lecture, and he gave exactly the answer in that lecture. So I'm sure we all have, again, these sort of experiences. Our prayer may be answered by hearing a class, it may be answered by just something revealed in the heart. And it, it's like a light, like you switch on a light in a room. Ah, it's like this. Now here, though, it's not that a Kora is asking and Krishna is answering Krishna is asking <laughs> and Akura is answering so sometimes it's like that also and I'm sure we also have this kind of experience where we feel that Krishna is asking us so what do you want to do or what do you understand what do you want what do you not want how is it like that because again, Krishna is a person. And he's interested in what we understand and what our desires are and where we are going. So I thought this was very fascinating. So Krishna is asking, why doesn't everyone worship me? If, if everything is ultimately for me, is that a fact? Is everything everyone is doing, is that ultimately for Krishna? Of course, because everything is connected with Krishna. Everything is Krishna's energy. One cannot be doing anything that is not directed towards Krishna in an ultimate sense. Like George Harrison wrote in his foreword to the Krishna book, everyone's looking for Krishna. Some don't realize that they are, but they are. Vasovaisa, Krishna is the origin of all rasas. Akila rasa murti. And everything everyone is doing they're trying to enjoy rasa. Rasa, if difficult, Prabhupada wrote in Nectar Devotion, it's difficult to translate rasa. Rasa means a taste, like we have sweet, salty, uh, bitter, pungent, astringent, and now they say there's unmari, money, or something like that. So there's different tastes, and rasa in Ayurveda means the final or penultimate product of digestion. Foods that are easily digested are called a rasayana, like if you get organic tree-ripened fruit from a local grower and you eat that, that's a resign that your body immediately digests it for a little waste product. 
So rasa is the taste or favor or pleasure that we get from anything we do. And there's nothing that we do that is not aimed at enjoying rasa, ever. Even things we do that we're saying, why do I do this? I don't really want to do this. <laughs> you know, Arjuna asked this question, why do I do things that I don't really want to do? I feel like I'm being forced to do things against my will. But even those things, actually we're doing them because we're looking for some kind of rasa. We're looking for some kind of taste. And Krishna is the Akila Rasamrita Murti. He is the form of all tastes. So anything that anyone is doing, they're looking for Krishna. So one might say, well, why doesn't everybody just go to Krishna directly? Isn't that a logical question? If everything that everyone is doing is to try to get some pleasure and Krishna is the reservoir of all pleasure, why don't they go there? And when I first started practicing Krishna consciousness, I thought that if anybody would just hear about Krishna, they would immediately be interested. Maybe some of you have had that kind of experience too. I thought, if I just go to anyone and say, oh, you've got to see this book. Look at this book. Oh my goodness. Look, look at this book. Changed my whole life. It's a magic book. You've got to read it. And people would go, no thanks. <laughs> Yeah, and I was so confused. It's like, why? Right? Or they'd even get it and they'd go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I couldn't understand. I just couldn't comprehend at all. How is it that somebody could be exposed and not be attracted? How is it when everything they're attracted to is actually Krishna? Why do we have so few people here out of the 7 billion people on the planet? I mean, even if we're going to talk about the fact that the majority of people on this planet believe in God, they have some kind of professed religion. Some, something. I, I am a whatever. I am a Muslim. I am a Catholic. I am a Pentecostal. I am whatever. Still, honestly... Are the vast majority of people on this planet engaged in some sort of really encompassing spiritual or religious practice? No. Why? If that's where you can get everything you want. If someone says, I want this, 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 and we say, oh, it's right there, that you can get it right there, like some kind of superstore, you know where you can get everything, like, like Amazon purports to be, everything from A to Z, whatever you want, you can get there. I mean, obviously not everything. But that's their claim, yeah? But why not go to Krishna? So here, Akura is giving the answer to that. And this is an answer that is, we don't really like. Just like when, and when I was first reading Bhagavad Gita, that when Arjuna asked this question in the third chapter, Krishna's talking about karma yoga and doing your duties, and Arjuna says, well, why don't we do the right thing? <laughs> why do we feel forced to do the wrong thing? And when I read that, I'm like, why? Why? Why, why is my behavior not always in line with my ideals? We, we can even say, at least speaking for myself, that many of us who are dedicated, full-time 
main, as our main engagement that we want to find Krishna, still think and do and say things that are out of alignment with that desire. Am I the only one who has this problem? You know, I, I say something and I'm like, oops. It was just pride. It was just nasty. And I'm like, oops. I do something like, why did I just do that? Or some things I don't do that I know I should. Why didn't I do that? I know I should have done that. And so Arjuna asked this question, why? And, you know, when I read this first when I was in college, it was at the, somehow in that printing, it was at the bottom of the right-hand side of the page. So I had a moment of, you know, tension (laughs) while I turned the page to find the answer. And Krishna says, it's lust that pushes you to do things you don't really want to do because you're looking for taste in the wrong place. You're looking for taste in the wrong way. So this concept of material desire, lust, can be further analyzed according to the three gunas because it doesn't just come in one variety. And so therefore, Kura is answering here that the reason that people do things opposed to their own best interests and opposed to where they're going to really find the fulfillment of desires, and opposed to what they're actually trying to do, is that they're influenced by this Thomas, Rajas, and Sattva. So I thought we could look at each of these in turn, and I thought we could look at each of these both in a general way, and also in relationship to worship, in relationship to religion. So first we have uh, Thomas. So... uh, uh, Thomas, uh, Lord Kipiludes explains in the Bhagavatam in 3.29.8, he says that if you're engaged in, ostensibly you're engaged in bhakti, ostensibly you're engaged in some kind of religious or spiritual process and endeavor. And you've probably convinced yourself, yes, I am worshiping the Lord. But if you're envious, proud, violent, and angry, then your worship is really influenced by Thomas. Now, Thomas Shilaprapa often just translates as the word ignorance. Sometimes it's translated as darkness. Thomas is a particular type of false ego. Now, we can understand these three as distinct things. There's Thomas, there's Rajas, and there's Sattva. We can also understand them as gradations of the same thing. So the example that I like to give is of a window. So when we put these curtains over a window, we cannot see outside at all. That would be like Thomas. If we had a very sheer curtain over the window, the other day at BKG Academy, I was explaining to one of the children what sheer means. So you have a sheer curtain in that room. We have a a sheer curtain. You can see light then through the window, and maybe you can see some shapes, kind of vaguely. And then if we don't have any kind of covering on the window, so one can see outside. But you can see the window, there's some dirt on it. It's it's almost impossible to keep windows absolutely clean all of the time. Right? So there's, there's some, like, smudges. And there's also a frame. So in order to really see, I have to go outside. I have to not have a window at all. Is that clear? Yes? 
So you can say there are degrees. Thomas, you're, 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 you're almost completely covered. I mean, with the, when the curtains are closed, at least you know there is a window. <laughs> and Rajas, you're partially covered. Sattva, it's clear, but it's confined, and there's some influence of dirt, and only in transcendence are you really able to see things clearly. So the, the, the pleasure or the draw of tamas can be explained kind of like this. And there's just quite a description of these, of Rajasattva and Thomas in the Bhagavad Gita. And what, what's really interesting to me is that at the beginning of the 14th chapter, which is where Krishna really starts explaining uh, Thomas, Rajas, and Sattva, he says, I'm going to tell you knowledge which is better than anything else I have explained. And I've never been able to explain that verse. Why would knowledge of, of the modes be better than what Krishna's explained, say, in the ninth chapter or in the twelfth chapter? I, I don't I've never found anyone who can answer that question. It gives you a mechanism. It gives you the mechanism. The, the mechanism? Yes, it gives you the mechanism and by giving you the knowledge, then you can actually start applying the knowledge. See, she should be giving plastic. So Rudrati said that it gives you the mechanism by which you can apply the knowledge. Thank you. I mean, I do understand it that if you don't know matter and spirit side by side, you actually can't get free. We have to know where we want to go, and we also have to know what's holding us back. Does this make sense to everybody? Yes? And each of us, due to our personalities, we're motivated more either by positive or negative. The altogether general people are more negative by trying to get rid of pain than by going for pleasure. Interesting. So these modes tell us why it is that even though we may be wanting the Supreme, we are achieving something else. So in Thomas, Thomas represents the worst parts of religion. The parts of religion that people who reject religion criticize religion for. Religion in Thomas is religious wars, religious sectarianism, religious persecution. God is only in my place of worship. God is only in my brand of religion. Anyone who doesn't believe exactly what I believe, I'm going to cut their head off. That's extreme religion in Thomas. Or I'm going to use philosophy and practice for my own ego to defeat other people. I'm going to be angry at everyone in the name of religion. Have you met people like this? Maybe sometimes you've been that person. Sometimes I've been that person. The general ego in Thomas is like the person who's just satisfied with basic physical comforts of life as Prabhupada always analyzes it, eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. If a person has nice food to eat, according to their understanding, they have a sexual partner, they have a nice place to sleep, they have enough money to live, they have a roof over their head, that's enough for them. They don't go beyond that. They don't think beyond that. If they apparently take up some philosophy or religion, it's just to justify and, and solidify they're having a comfortable lifestyle. And the ego in Thomas is, you know, 
I'm not very ambitious. I don't really want anything in the world. I'm a simple person. And this can disguise itself as spiritual detachment. Does this make sense to everybody? I mean, the typical Thomas person, you know, they go to work, they come home, they drink their beer in front of the football game, they have sex with their partner, they go to sleep. That's like the typical Thomas person. And when a Thomas Thomas person takes up religion, then they're doing it for their basic creature comforts. But there's not much ambition in Thomas. People in Thomas aren't interested in getting rich. I mean, they'll try to win the lottery, but then they just misspend it. Yeah? You follow? So they may apparently be taking up a philosophical system or religious system, but there's kind of an inherent laziness and an inherent sense that all I want is to be comfortable. People in Thomas are also very expert at insulting others, and they'll use religion to find ways of simply insulting others and denigrating others and creating a violence and harm in society in the name of religion, and they really give God a bad name. They really make God look bad in society. You know, one would think that the Lord is just like, oh, <laughs> what am I going to do with this person who claims that they're my servant and claims that they're my follower and is simply creating all kinds of disturbance? Still, better to worship God and tell us than not to worship God at all. It, it is a step. Right, then we have Rajas. So people who are doing religion in Rajas, they're engaged in religious activities for fame, for opulence. Rajas is the expansive aspect of ego. The typical Rajas person is like, I'm going to change the world. That's the the Rajas person. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to build big buildings. I'm going to build hospitals and schools. I'm going to, you know, feed all the hungry people in the world and wipe out all the diseases of the world. I'm going to create culture and philosophy. I'm going to get my statue up in the park. My name in the history books. Everyone will know me that I am a good person. That I am a righteous person. That I am a dharmic person. That I am a religious person. This is the kind of person, you know, they do their worship very publicly. You know, or if, I mean, in in religious life, if you're chanting so that people will notice you're chanting, you're doing the arctic and you're looking around, is anyone in the temple room noticing that I'm doing the arctic? You give charities, you get your plaque up on the wall, I've given in charity. You know, that's what's motivating and Bhagavatam says in Rajas, one is always thirsty. Bigger, better, more, 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 bigger, better, more. That's the Rajas. And so we see, of course, this also gives religion a bad name. People who take up religion so that they can be worshipped. And I remember catching this in, my, in myself. Uh, I, I write a lot of poetry, so I, one time when I was writing some poetry ostensibly about spiritual life, I found that I'd written something there simply about how I wanted to be a very 
a wonderful saintly person. And I'm like, oops. After I wrote, I read it then later and like, oops. That's just rajas. But that can easily disguise itself as bhakti, isn't it? Just like Thomas can, dis- can disguise itself as bhakti. Well, I'm just happy going up, just going to chant my round, get my prasada, and have a comfortable life. I'm not ambitious. And look at all those people in Maya over there. Uh, the dogs, hogs, camels, and asses. And that's just Thomas. And Raja says, I'm going to do big things for Krishna. See, see, see. Doing big things for Krishna. That's just Raja's. Now again, better to do devotional service and Rajas than not to do it at all, but it also causes a disturbance. And it doesn't give you the real thing. You die in Rajas and then you become, Prabhupada says, a very rich person on earth, a very rich or famous person on earth. And then there's Sattva. So Lokapiya Dev says how Religion in sattva is done for the purpose of purification. It's done for the purpose of liberation. This is the negative motive. I want to get rid of my lust, anger, and greed. I want to, I want to be a person of integrity. Not so I'll get my statue up in the park, but just so I'll be happy internally. Like the person in Thomas, the person in sattva is not ambitious. But the source of their non-ambition is very different. The person in Thomas is not ambitious because they're satisfied with bodily comforts, and the person in Sattva is not ambitious because they're satisfied with mental and intellectual comforts. So if the person in Sattva has an interesting mental and intellectual life, then they don't have much further ambition. I mean, extreme examples, you think of, there was some guy a few years ago, I think, who won the Nobel Prize, I think, in mathematics. He didn't even bother to go to Oslo to collect it, and he didn't even want the money from it. He didn't even want his name mentioned that he won the prize. He just didn't care. All he cared about was knowledge. You follow? So this is a typical example of the mentality of sattva. But sattva also is about ego. It's about... I am such a balanced person. I'm kind. I'm forgiving. I'm in harmony. I am so spiritual. And the person in Thomas says, I'm simple. And the person in Roger says, I'm great in the world. And the person in Suffolk says, I am spiritual. But it's still all about me. And someone in sattva is taking up a spiritual process for their own happiness. So they can become balanced, so they can become liberated, thinking, I want liberation, I want balance, I want happiness, I want joy, I want to be peaceful within, therefore I'm worshiping God. Someone both in sattva and in rajas wants to be dharmic, wants to be moral, but in Rajas, one wants to be dharmic and moral for accolades, and in Sattva, one wants to be dharmic and moral because it gives you this nice, warm, fuzzy feeling inside, which it does. And people in Thomas don't really care about being honest and moral unless it's easy. If honesty and morality is easy, they'll do it. If it's not, they won't. They're, they're interested in easy. 
You follow? You know, if the vegetarian burger is, is available at McDonald's and it's the same price, they'll buy it. But if they have to go to a special store, it costs more money they want. And the person in Rajas, they'll get the vegetarian burger so they can announce how green they are. And the person in Sattva, they get the vegetarian burger because they just want to feel healthy. So all of these divert us. If we die in Sattva, we can go to the planets of the demigods or we can take birth, as Prabhupada says, on this earth as a philosopher or a poet. But we don't actually attain Krishna. So just to say it's our material desires, but there's shades of our material desires. In our upcoming book, Rukmini and I call the gunas the shades of ego. There's degrees and kinds of ways, and they're very tricky because they all masquerade as spirituality. In, in Thomas and in, uh, and in Sattva, there's a, this concept of detachment and simplicity. In Rajas, there's this concept of this you know, energy. And it can masquerade. A person can fool themselves and thinking, yes, I'm a very spiritual person in any of these modes. The Thomas person can think that too. But you don't really get what you're aiming for. So what is actual spirituality is aiming for love and aiming for the happiness of Krishna. That is actual spirituality. So how do we get that? How do we get above Thomas and Rajas and Sattva? I've always wished I could have like English names for all of them. I mean, either Thomas is easy, and then you can get Roger, but I haven't figured out anything for, you know, like watch out for Thomas and Roger for a Western audience. They've got to figure out something. Never figure out something for the Sattva. In some senses, Sattva is the most dangerous. Sattva is this close to real spirituality. And so, Jackie Tucker Swami says it's like the airport for the airplane. But it's also can be very bewildering because you think you already have spirituality. You're like, well, I'm already just listening. And we often find it most difficult to give Krishna consciousness to people inside. Sometimes they're our hardest audience. So how do we get free of these? And what does it mean to get free of these? So this is, of course, Arjuna's question in the 14th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. He says, what does it look like when one is free? And again, Krishna says that this is the best knowledge that he's given so far. And I really like, I think I'm going to just read this verse instead of saying it from memory. The Supreme Personality of God had said, O son of Pandu, he who does not hate illumination, attachment, and delusion when they are present or long for them when they disappear. I cannot stress how important that sentence is. Krishna's giving this as the sadhya, as the, as the goal, as the symptom of the goal. But my dear friends, it is also part of our sadhana. This detachment from the modes. He who does not hate illumination, attachment, and delusion, that's sattva, rajas, tamas. 
which here through Prabhupada's translating as illusion, illumination, attachment, and delusion. When they are present, who does not hate them when they are present, or long for them when they disappear, who is unwavering and undisturbed through all these reactions of the material qualities, remaining neutral and transcendental, knowing that the modes alone are active, who is situated in the self and regards alike happiness and distress, who looks upon a lump of earth, a stone, and a piece of gold with an equal eye, who is equal toward the desirable and the undesirable, who is steady, situated equally well in praise and blame, honor and dishonor, who treats alike both friend and enemy, and who has renounced all material activities, such a person is said to have transcended the modes of nature. My dear friends, this is not just a symptom of transcendence, but it is also a process of transcendence. Krishna gives very, very similar descriptions in the 13th chapter for the process of knowledge. He gives very similar descriptions at the end of the 12th chapter for one who is very dear to him. This is part of our process. To be detached. Hey, Thomas, I know you. Hi. I can feel that you're in my body and mind, but I'm going to ignore you. I'm not going to act according to you. Like, you know some obnoxious people that you see them and you just, like, walk on by? Hey, Roger, I, Roger, I know you. I can feel you in my body and mind, but I'm going to ignore you. I'm not going to want you to go away. And, and I know there's Sattva. I'm going to ignore you too. I know you and I'm going to ignore you. I'm not going to grab you. I'm not going to get into you. I'm not going to lament when you leave. You come, you go. It's just the modes. And what will one do instead? One who engages in full devotional service, unwavering in all circumstances, at once transcends the modes of material nature and this comes to the level of Brahman. So when, when Rajas and Thomas and Sattva come, and they will come, it's not that because we're chanting Hare Krishna, they're not going to enter our body and mind. That, that will not happen. That's not what Prabhupada says in that purport. That's not what Krishna is saying in that verse. He's saying that you don't identify with them. They're affecting my mind and body, but I'm not going to identify them with them. I'm not going to act on them, nor am I going to hate them. I'm not going to try to get them to go away. Nor am I going to try to act on them. I'm just going to go on with my devotional service. And they can come or go as they like. Just like some days it's warm, some days it's cold, we go on with our devotional service. Exactly like And then we can get what we really, really, really want. We can get real rasa. We can get a real relationship with Krishna. We can attain real devotional service. But we have to be careful. Because bhakti can come masquerading as these different uh, things. Or rather, these other things can come masquerading as bhakti. There, We can be in Thomas, Rajas, and Sattva and think we're, we're in pure bhakti, but we're not. So we need to be able to recognize them. We need to be able to say, oh, that's not. You're Krishna's energies, you do whatever you're going to do, but I'm going to engage in love. I'm going to engage in actual loving, devotional service. So, questions, comments? Yes, Mr. Fear. <coughs> I had a question. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Therefore, I'm saying these things are also part of the process. It's not that we should think, oh, that'll happen to me when I'm liberated. No, it's part of the process to have this introspection and this understanding. Thank you.